So, Berto, I want to talk with you about serial killers. We have had a number of episodes about serial killers, and of course, it fascinates the culture. People love their Ted Bundy stories or their Zodiac killer or their John Wayne Gacy stories. And I want to start with a question. When did serial killers peak in the United States? You know, the, the amount of serial, yeah. serial killers at large at any given time. When did the number of at large, you know, active serial, serial killers, killers peak in the United States? I'm going to go um, 83. Okay. Well, I have a more general. It's basically the 80s. So you're right. Oh, okay. I don't know right. that particular year. But 70s, 80s, and 90s is when the serial killer numbers were at its by far the highest. So sense. I named a few, Ted Bundy, Zodiac, John Wayne Gacy. Who, who, who can you think of as a famous 70s, 80s, 90s serial killer? Actually, the easiest way to go is by Marilyn Manson's band, because he's got like Ramirez, right? Green River, River Killer. Oh, yeah, Green River. And BT, uh, yeah. BTK? BTK. BTK. Cro Son, uh, the Zodiac? You yeah. Zodiac? Son of yeah. Sam, right. Jeffrey Dahmer, Golden, Golden State Killer. All right, so how many serial killers operated at any given time in the peak in the 80s. So the, the number of serial mm. killers that the United States was like, we know of this many serial killers that are oh at okay, large so right now. I'd say the FBI probably had a list of like 30 serial killers. 770. Oh my God, that's scary. Right? That's so scary. Right? Like that's, that's so crazy. Scary. Because well, So it was only the tip of the iceberg that you would hear about. Right. You Not know, even. we... We would hear about – when you think serial killer, you think of the big ones, yeah. the famous ones. And you think, okay, at any given time, yeah, okay, there's probably more that you don't hear about. you know. And, and so you think at the peak, you're thinking 30 at the most. 770 oh God. known serial killers at any given time in the 80s. And they would piece it together by like – Okay, we like the Green River Killer. How they know that that was one person? Well, the protocol was the same, right? And so, seven hundred similar descriptions, things almost like. a thousand. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess the the definition of a serial killer is that they've killed m multiple people, and um, that could be. I guess that's fairly broad, right? Right. Like, you, it could be literally still. two people. Like you, yeah, but you killed two people. And that I don't. So that's another thing that we'll get into later. But anyway, let's introduce the podcast. My name is Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a therapist and a professor, and this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. Who are you, Berto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I'm a selective seashell sommelier <laughs> on the shore with Sarah. Um, okay, early right. 20th century. At any given time, how many serial killers? So far before the peak in the 80s, early 20th century. And and it was pretty flat, and that we know of. of it course. was a pretty flat line yeah. of of you know uh, frequency. How many serial killers at the peak before the eighties? Uh, so the peak was in the eighties at seven seventy, yeah. and then but it was pretty constant in the early twentieth century. So you mean like all of them put together before that? No, at any given time. Oh, at any given time. Yeah, okay. I mean, they didn't really track it well until whatever the seventies, right? The the that show we watched. So, I mine, think mine hunt, mine, mine hunter, hunter yeah. yeah. So I think it's probably like that we know of. It would be in the tens, you know, like maybe twenty or thirty, based on the yeah. It's pretty close, seventy-five in the early okay. twenty. 
So it's pretty flat line on the early 20th century, and then it starts to pick up in the 50s and 60s and the 80s and, and 90s. But do we and, think, and then do we think what if down. they didn't know? What if, like, there were 700 all along and they didn't know? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, so deaths by serial killer in 1987. So remember, you have 770 at large. How many deaths in one year? 1987, so one year in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. Deaths by serial killer, 1987. All right, I'm going to go, like, average it out to two point something, round up. So I'm going to go 3,000. Okay, so we're going to go the other direction. It's 189. What? Yeah. How? Well, so you could have 770 serial killers in the 80s. Yeah. If each one of them kills more than, you know, one person. Oh, because you picked one year. You picked and it's one just year. one year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, if, you, so if you added up all the deaths by those 770 yeah. killers... In that one year, yeah. ...in the decade, then you'd right. probably... Or even... Because some serial killers, there's 20 years bef- in between each yeah. murder, you know. So you're... So 189. So we're talking about a very <laughs> low chance of you being a victim by a serial sure. killer. We're talking... Lower probably than lightning deaths and shark, or I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. probably not. Anyway, what about to, being attacked by a shark while you're getting hit by lightning because you were trying to avoid a serial killer by swimming into the ocean? Yeah, or what about a serial killer being eaten by a shark while it is being winning the lottery? What What is the odds? That's lucky, man. <laughs> That's that the odds. Lucky. Um, I won the lottery, but I don't have a foot anymore. Um, and I am a serial killer. To, <laughs> and I am a serial killer. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks it's for like, inserting that bit in there. <laughs> it's, it's like, like oh, wait a minute. <laughs> thanks for extending the joke. 2015 deaths. So recent, uh, basically, you know, per year deaths by serial killer now. What would 2015? Okay, well, then I'm going to go uh, 30. Oh, my God. On the money. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so Great. very unlikely to be killed much by smaller, serial, yeah. Much smaller. Much smaller. And yeah. current serial killers at large, something like 100 or I can't remember. It's, it's pretty pretty low. Maybe a couple hundred. Uh, okay. So in this episode, we're going to talk about why would that peak happen? And mainly, yeah. why would it decrease since the 80s? Why are there so few serial killers in... Re, you know, relative to the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, and by the way, I think even why the peak might have happened too, because um, you had these devastating World War One and World War Two, tons of young men thrown into the fray, lots of deaths. Not only that, lots of reconstruction needed afterwards. Not a lot of people had a lot of free time. It was just like work really hard. Also, you couldn't get around as easily. Um, and so forth. No interstate travel. And then eventually now all of a sudden you can take planes, you can interstate travel, you got maybe more leisure time and you don't got a war because maybe you didn't go to Vietnam or maybe you did, but you got injured. You weren't there very long. Who knows? I'm sort of making shit up as I'm going along. But what what do you mean by war? Well, you, you were not in world war two and, and no one, no one around you was in world war two, except like your grandpa, you know? And And how does that, what does that have to do with 
more serial that you, killers. That if you draw the little bell curve, there were probably people that could have become serial killers, but they were off fighting wars in the oh. earlier part of the century. Interesting. Now, these people are hanging around. Yeah. And so the same percentages probably, maybe, but, but then they also have uh, more transportation, faster transportation, more leisure time, maybe more disposable income, and, and maybe these things add up to more serial killers. Yeah. More but the media, question is, more pornography. More good, everything. good. Um, but the question now, is... why did it decrease? Why did it decrease? Yeah, so, so in that sense, I think, first off, to be a serial killer, you have to operate, unless you just want to do it once, you've got to operate with some shroud of darkness because, um, yeah, you don't, you know, you, you want to repeat. And that's probably gotten harder and harder to do because, A, uh, everyone started, like, sharing information more because of social media and phones and the internet. Um, and then also, I think, the city, the growth of cities. So how could maybe, sharing information reduce the chance of a um, Because you can probably triangulate people quicker, um, you know, before it'd be like, yeah, I think I saw a dude in a, in a t-shirt. But now it's like, I took a photo of the person and posted it on Facebook. Right. Um, there's that. Plus, not only what they posted, but you could be like, I don't know, it seems to be this, the, these data points. And then you go to a social network and you're like, oh, wait, look at this person's posts. Look at what they said on Friday. Look at what, you know, right. look what their friends said on Saturday. Um, so I think that there's more evidence. Everyone's leaving more and more cookie crumbs everywhere. Uh, so it's harder to, harder to get away with it so you could kill again. Yeah. That, that's what you're saying. That's one point. Um, there's also, uh, I think there's more easy access to entertainment and distraction. So, yeah, I guess you could go out in the night and find a victim, but you could also stay home and watch some porn and watch Netflix on demand all the time. And <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Well, the porn thing uh, I'll get to in a second, but you're saying that uh, if they had Netflix, they wouldn't have, Ted Bundy wouldn't have done what he did? I mean, it sounds like I'm trivializing it. Obviously, I am in a stupid way. But at the same time, uh, boredom. In, in Spanish, there was this saying, maybe there's in English too, about um, what, idle, no, it's in English, idle hands, right? Mm -hmm. Idle hands, is something the devil's, devil's something? playground, something. Yeah. I think if you're sitting there bored in the 70s and you have these bad desires, it's like you're going to go out. But nowadays, there's so many distractions competing for your time. You're like, oh man, I didn't finish the season of whatever it is I'm watching, Bridgerton or something. Not only that, I'm supposed to get online and play with my buddies in 10 minutes. Not only that, like I'm binging something else on Netflix. And like it's, it's distractions, 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 distractions. And so I think that people are more occupied with distractions, you know? Okay. Interesting speculation. Yeah. So I did some literature review and I found the following speculations or educated guesses as to why we would see a reduction in the number of serial killers since the 70s, 80s, 90s. Because it's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, there was a time yeah. in the 70s and 80s when pretty much everyone was worried that a serial killer could get them. And today, people don't worry about that anymore. People, in my ex anecdotal experience, they don't worry like a Ted Bundy type is going to get you. You might think a mass murderer is going to get you, but you don't think a someone is 
at large going to kill you it, it, at the in the 70s and 80s you know like the son of sam panic in new york city in the 70s i mean it was real people were they wouldn't leave their house because they were worried that some serial killer was going to get them and and we well, just don't hear that that much anymore a uh, parenthesis there is that it is interesting that some of the some of the people that ended up shooting a lot of people um i mean that is a instantaneous serial killer um i wonder if those are counted or not they're not they're called mass murders i see serial is uh, in sequence okay yeah so all right so the reasons why speculative wise why we would see a reduction is number one that there's a general decrease in crime overall since the 90s including murder including serial murder there is a massive decrease in crime since the 90s. We had a huge, huge uh, bubble of crime in the, you know, starting in the 70s, going into the 80s, and peaking in the 90s to the point where a lot of the movies that Berto and I grew up on was this assumption that if trends continue, it was just going to get worse and worse. It was sort of like with global warming. If, if you just yeah. project into the future, things don't look good. Well, when you projected it into the future in 1993, then you saw just terrible things, you know, escape from New York kind of, kind of <laughs> stuff, right? And Or warriors, you know, th- this kind of, um, you know, especially city-wise, it just looked like cities were, and particularly New York, was just going to be a cesspool because that's the way things were going. Now, the- downtown Manhattan is actually, you know, relatively a lot lower crime than in the 90s, even though the news would tell you otherwise. Did you ever watch Class of 1984? No. It's not a good movie, but it was one of those. Uh, I don't know when it was filmed, but obviously it's supposed to tell you, show you what the Class of 1984 could be like. So it was probably like 79, 80 or something. And it was a dystopian society uh, where the violence had gotten so bad in, I I guess it was New York, I don't remember, that it was, you know, the students were like in all these crazy gangs. Everyone had spiky hair and chains and they were really evil. (laughs) And that was their their vision of... You and I grew up with a lot of those kinds of movies. And I remember thinking it was just a matter of time before that's, or it would all, or at least it would stay that way. Cause right. we don't usually see success stories. And this is one of the things that we should really be celebrating in the streets about that <laughs> somehow in all of our efforts, we did something right. It's hard to know what that was, but we did something right as a society, as a government, as a culture, as a law enforcement thing, as a, the taxes and the funding and the spent or whatever we did, our TV shows, the uh, abortion being legal. It, well, that's guns, germs, and steel. Jared, what's yeah. his face, talks about how that's, and, and that could be a factor, but yeah, I think I'm it's way it's bigger than that. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. It's because uh, it, why did it increase in the first place? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so there, there's just a lot of success that we can look at, and I, and you know we don't usually talk about that in the news. And if anything, people think that crime has actually has continued to increase since the 90s you know people will say oh in the 90s we had it so good it's like no you didn't (laughs) you were much more likely to be killed or 
mugged or assaulted in the 90s than you are today. And that's a, that should be celebrated. And we should be looking at, okay, what did we do? How did we get there? You know, how do we learn from, from, uh, from that success? All right. Number two reason why we would speculate that there'd be fewer serial killers today is that improved police work, as you were uh, kind of pointing to, Berto. DNA testing uh, became prevalent yeah. in the 90s, made famous by O.J. Simpson trial. Which and, didn't work in that case, but still. <laughs> yeah. But if you can te- swab for DNA on right. the body of someone who had died, and it's hard to completely clean that up, right, or of a crime scene, and you can connect someone's DNA to a crime scene, that's pretty good evidence that they were at yeah. least there. And then what's their alibi? And, and so, but not only DNA testing, but just better, better forensic science. You know, we saw this in the TV show Mindhunter when the FBI yeah. agents would go to these small police stations and they'd have like a, a file folder with just like, you know, maybe a couple <laughs> notes written down and some sheriff is just like, well, I remember things, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know who got mugged last last month. I don't, I don't need to write it down. Right. And then the ability to coordinate data across. Oh different... yeah. Sharing, right. Sharing right. information. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. And it's sharing information between states and between different d- districts and precincts. Right. Not only between states, but literally f- to the town next door because yeah. 50, a hundred years ago, the sheriff ha- didn't have a, a, a time or the protocol or the technology to, look at the files of the sheriff next door. And so literally as right. a serial killer, you could get away with it. All you got to do is just kill in the town next, just like five miles down the road and no one will be able to connect the two, you know? And, and stuff like, oh man, I'm going to go down to the library to check the microfiche, you know? Right. Like I'm going to look at newspaper clippings. Did from, you ever look at microfiche? I did. In a high school, we had a, we had to do something where I had to go to the library and do it. Yeah, I spent a lot of time as a kid looking at microfiche in our in our school library because it was <laughs> the only way to keep track of large volumes of things. Like yeah, you, you exactly. couldn't you couldn't have stacks of newspapers, but you could have microfiche. Right. And you had this. Um, if people don't know what microfiche is, it's it's essentially film uh, that. Every instead of you know it's like a movie film, but instead of every frame being a frame of the movie, it's a different page of a newspaper or something. Right. And so you would you would put this thing in a in a light box and you would flip through it and and you'd have to read it, you know, and yeah. and, and flip through until you find found the the date and the newspaper you wanted to see. Anyway, the the third reason that is speculated is that there are longer prison sentences, so. Some serial killers will kill when they're released. And so if you just never let them out of prison, then uh, they, they can't kill again or they kill fewer people. That makes sense because <laughs> there are still serial killers from the 80s in prison. Right. And it, before we had our uh, – you know, we all can point to the problem that we have today, which is incarcerating people for too long, incarcerating too many people, of course – the injustice of incarceration of particular groups of people over others. But one of the side benefits of that whole mass incarceration system is that the chance of you vacuuming up a potential serial killer before they can kill more is higher, right? Right. Four is the absence of easy targets. And you kind of mentioned this as well, that we have cell phones, 
but also some of the things you didn't uh, mention. I don't know if you mentioned hitchhiking, but there's a lot. No, I of, didn't. Okay, there's a lot of hitchhiking, and a lot of just assumptions of safety that today we just do not have. Probably you know because why, of the '90s, you know. Yeah. Do you know why I probably didn't mention hitchhiking? Because when I grew up in Bogota, hitchhiking would not have been a thing. <laughs> you, I mean, it was already bad enough getting in a bus. These buses, when I was, when I was there in the 80s, uh, you would watch the bus go by. And it was, you know, like when you see those trains in Japan where everyone's like falling off the train. Mm-hmm. Like, pack, that's what these buses were like. People were literally, the doors couldn't close because they had like two or three people hanging off the the little um, handles on the doors that you go in, and and they're fully out of the bus. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're like two or three, and inside, to say they're standing room only, there's not even standing room. People would sometimes suffocate, have heart attacks, things like that. Oh my god! But that's that was the form of transportation. The idea to like stick a, a thumb out and get in some random person's car. Oh my god! That would have been that would have been a no no. Like impossible. <laughs> the urbanization has been such that people are in apartment. I mean, that's a plus and a minus in a way, but like it's so dense. It's kind of right. hard to have privacy. Like when, when Ted Bundy was at Lake Sammamish, like the people yeah. that lived in that area, it's it was very few. It's like it was pretty sparse. Yeah. I mean, he went to Sammamish Park. So if you don't know, I've talked about this before. The Some of Ted Bundy's first victims were at a at a park that me and my family went to. And it was possible that me and my family were even there that day because we would we would frequently go there. And it was at a time when I would have been three years old or something, I think. And I asked my mom about it, and she said she does remember hearing the stories and yeah. being really worried about it. But anyway. Oh, by the way, do you know that I've never seen you and Ted Bundy in the same place at the same time? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you were there at some average that day. So uh, I'm, I'm not I'm saying not. anything. Hey, yeah. I mean, I was three, but I did own a tan bug, so <laughs> a VW bug. That narrows uh, it down. Um, the other thing is just more paranoia and helicopter parenting. There is mm. so much fear. I mean, the, the real, the biggest example that I always think about when I think about this change in culture is that when I was a kid, me and my siblings, it was not even a question about whether or not I was going to walk to school, even though as a, kinder- <laughs> right. as a kindergartner, I was five years old, walking to school by myself. No, I think I, woke with, I, wrote, I walked with my sister, but first grade, I would have been six, <laughs> by myself to school a mile away, okay, uh, with no sidewalks, on a ro- basically just on the side of the road, you know what I mean? Yeah. And no thought in everyone in my neighborhood, there, no kid was driven to school. No kid was, you know, all, there were kids all over my neighborhood and all of them just... That's crazy, man. <laughs> and, 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 or they would at least walk by themselves to the bus stop. You know, parents didn't... I mean, to see a parent walking with you to the bus stop, even when you were in second grade, you would have been laughed at. You'd be like, oh, you little <laughs> baby. Your parent has to walk you to the bus stop. Like, it was, it was weird to have parents take their kids to school back then. That was true for me even in Bogota, actually, although I didn't have to go far. But now that I think about it, I would go stand out by myself for sure. I, I don't know what grade it started, but I don't... The, or the last memories I have of like waiting with my grandma 
were in like kindergarten or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure that if my sister wasn't young enough to, because she was in sixth grade and I was in kindergarten, yeah. so she walked me to, we went to the same elementary school briefly. Uh, first grade, she went on to junior high, so I walked by myself. But I'm pretty sure if my sister was older, I'd still have walked to the school by myself. And no joke, a mile, not not <laughs> not just a like an actual mile. And that's just the way things were. Whereas today, and this would have been 15 years ago, I was at my sister's house, and she lives in Duluth, which is a pretty approximate to where I grew up. You know, pretty small town, and she was driving her kids to school, even though the school was, I believe, two blocks away, <laughs> and in a in a really sleepy suburban neighborhood. You know, wow. but with sidewalks and I mean, they, there were sidewalks the kids could walk on. It's not like there are dark, uh, scary yeah. roads. You know, you're, you're walking on suburban streets with sidewalks and houses around right. and broad daylight. And she was driving the kids to school. And I just thought, like, why? You know, we, but that's just the way things are now. You know, that that's yeah. it, to, for some people, it's considered child abuse to make your first grader walk <laughs> to school by themselves. Yeah, right. And it, you would absolutely expect someone to call CBS. And I'm not saying that's right by any stretch. And there are definite problems with helicopter parenting. I mean, we have so many cons to that. And, of course, the pro, though, is that serial killers have a much harder time nabbing kids. And a lot right. of serial killers would kill children, by the way. You know, when I was in New York, I was five years old. I think the situation was already a little different. First of all, it was a few years after your, after you would have been five and it was new york city and in, in queens <laughs> so i definitely uh wasn't allowed to go walking by myself to school it was about five six blocks maybe but one day i had to because my dad dropped me off at the apartment where uh, basically in the mornings he had to go to work before my school would start so he would drop me off at a friend of his who had a child my age. And so we would either walk together, walk with their mom, whatever. Um, but this morning, he didn't have time to wait for them to come out. And they like weren't coming out after we rang a couple times. So he just left me, <laughs> which is terrible. <laughs> they weren't home. There was no one home. Mm. So I was like outside waiting, waiting. No one came out. So eventually I was like, I think I'm just going to walk to school. And I knew the way. So I just like walked to school. Um, but that was definitely the exception to the rule. Yeah. I mean, New York, we were just talking about how bad the uh, the crime rate was in that in that time. Yeah. So it makes sense. In, in my neighborhood, we didn't even lock our door. In fact, Jeez. we would go on a vacation for a week and we didn't even – we had one key to the front door of our house and no one used it. And it was, Jeez. it was left under a rock by the front door just in case like something really weird happened. Okay. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, I never had it. I never had a house key. My parents didn't bring house keys with them because there wasn't, there was no worry about any break-ins or any crime of any sort, you know? Okay, that is the complete opposite, man. Right. In Bogota, first of all, you couldn't have normal windows. The windows had to have metal bars on them. Yeah. Because if you had normal windows, 
at least on the first floor, people would break in. Yeah. So all windows on first floors of the areas that I grew up in, they all had metal bars. Um, number one. Number two, our door, our front door, was this big sliding door. And it didn't just lock. We used two huge padlocks and a, a bar that was like a wooden log, like the, as wide as a pop can, you know, and like to like block it. And it had a chain and the normal locking. Like, it was insane. Um, so, yeah, we did not have the same situation. Yeah, and in New York City, that would have been exactly the same. Um, there was a lot of crime and a lot of worry. Um, uh, but anyway, well, let's take a break. and we get back, let's continue with more speculative reasons as to why serial killers have been reduced over time. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. Hey, Deserving Listeners, as you know, I'm constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. One of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp.com. So if you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to BetterHelp.com slash Kirk. Make sure you use the slash Kirk because you get 10% off your first month and it helps us out. I get a lot of emails from you saying that you're looking for a therapist. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist. But I know it can be really hard to find a good one to work with. Like I said, one of the options available to try is BetterHelp.com slash Kirk. And you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide, which is amazing. I've been told that you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message with your counselor anytime. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And I've been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy. So go to BetterHelp.com slash Kirk to get 10% off your first month of therapy today. So, Berto, if a newscaster was telling the world about a reduction in serial... No, no, actually, let me amend that. You're in the 70s, and yeah. you're a newscaster, and you're talking about a serial killer at large, and you see a solution is to have everyone become a patron of the podcast, so what would that newscaster sound like? Uh, the news today, um, we found out that there's uh, yet another serial killer. I know it's not uh, the same one from last week. It seems like it's uh, yet another one. This one calls himself the Rock Tumbling Avenger. And um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's very important that you hide your little ones. Hide everyone. Everyone should hide in their houses. And be very afraid because this, this killer is on the loose. It's on the loose and he can get you. He can get you tonight. He can get you as you're listening to this. If you're in your car listening to this, pull over. No, don't pull over because he could open the door and get you. So drive straight home. Drive to somewhere you can go. Go inside. Hide, hide, hide. The only thing you can do at this point, if you don't want to hide permanently, is uh, become a patron by going to a, what, a Weeby site. I don't know what this is. It's something called a Weeby site <laughs> called psychologyinseattle.com uh, or go to patreon.com and become a patron of Psychology in Seattle. Apparently, these people know how to deal with these other people, and so it'll get you out of trouble fast, quick, lightning fast. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're doomed. You're doomed. Scary, scary. Run. So Rock Tumblr Killer, how does he kill us people? I think he uses rocks and he like, he rolls a big boulder off the roof onto the heads of the people. Hmm. And so then the people collapse and then he goes down uh, and then he draws like pebble shapes on their uh, forehead. Hmm. 
I was thinking more of like a rocker, like an ACDC guy who tumbles his way into his victims. <laughs> All right, number five, the rock tumbler. Number five is, you mentioned this, more monitoring, a lot more security cameras, GPS and cars and phone and watch, not only for the victim, but also for the killer's. It's easier to catch someone these days True. with all the cameras. I mean, there's so many security cameras now, right? And if and you get a vaccine, Bill Gates can track you directly with their microchips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the whole thing is just so dumb. It's like, so I don't think Bill Gates needs a microchip to know where you are and to know what you're doing. Like, he's him and all those people have known everything about you for a long time they don't need to put and the other thing is it's like what in the world would they find oh he's watching netflix again like now i can get him you know anyway um number six is a cultural shift so this is this is one that i actually inserted here which is that we have less fascination in our culture for whatever reason we were very fascinated with serial killers in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Hmm. And with less fascination comes less media, and thus comes less copycat uh, mm. people. Um, you know, there are serial killers today. That's, that's the yeah. thing, right? There are, there are dozens of serial killers at large in, in the United States right. that are currently killing, and yet no one is interested, no one talks about it, and it just goes completely under the radar. And yeah. I think what this does is it creates this um, less motivation for people that want to be famous. And I think some serial killers would do it partially because they want to be famous. <laughs> and of course, today um, you have you have mass serial killers. You know what I mean? Which brings me. I'll skip to number twelve, which is that serial killers' speculation here uh, have mutated into mass mur murders today. Yeah, you at take, least some categories of them. Right. You take angry, vengeful men who would kill in a serial fashion in the 70s and 80s and get away with it, today they're like, well, I might as well get all my killing in one fell swoop and then kill yeah. myself in the process. Right, but it, it don't, that doesn't account for people that are trying to get off sexually, right? Because yeah. it's hard to do a mass killing in a flash of a pan murder and, and enjoy yourself sexually because a lot of yeah. serial killers actually are doing it for sexual reasons. But it's like the son of Sam was just shooting people, right? Right. So, I mean, he could just, that type of person would be like, oh, I'm just going to shoot a whole bunch of people. Right. Whereas Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, these kinds of killers were, you know, definitely sexually motivated. Right. Or at least in part sexually motivated. Um, number seven is that we have perhaps improved treatment for people with troubles. We detect them more earlier, we have more research, we have better therapy, we have more therapy. And so I'd like to pat my <laughs> uh, industry on the back and say, good job for us. Number eight is better parenting. We have had a lot of advances in educating parents on what is good and what is bad parenting. Right. And that probably has a secondary effect of a lot fewer problems with adults, but also fewer psychopaths and fewer yeah. psychopaths who are wanting to kill people. Um, I, I think this is actually probable as well. I mean, the, the ideas of what was proper parenting um, 
in the, I remember for the seventies, but I can't imagine what it was like in the forties when all these serial killers were being born, uh, who would kill in the seventies and eighties. I can't imagine what kind of parenting, <laughs> you know, sort of yeah, right. ideas were, were flopping around in society. And so, you, you know, you could say that maybe we're, you know, we're, we're doing better job as parents overall. And I, and I think there's an element of society being less violent in general. And I know you said that there's uh, less violent crime. I actually mean just, you know, when yeah. the movies were coming out and then the norm was like hitting women. That was like totally fine. Like, oh, yeah. shut up, Pam. James um, Bond would just like strike right. a, a woman he was attracted to. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's sort of like the solution, the general solution to problems. And I know that these movies are still around, <laughs> but the general solution to problems was violence. Um, war movies, you know, super popular, all these kinds of things. And the, the schools, you know, in schools, corporal punishment was a thing. You know, you get slapped down, you get beat, your hands get beat, you get spanked, whatever, you know. Um, and, and it was sort of like the norm. This was accepted. Reform schools, reform, not, not even reform, uh, what do you call them? Military like uh, all-boys schools and stuff like yeah. that. Man, super violent and sort of encourage bullying and yeah. So I think that the whole the whole seasoning was violent. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to throw in another one that just occurred to me that World War II, we had a lot of people come back from the war with PTSD, completely untreated. We didn't even have the the label of PTSD at the time. Mm-hmm. And all those people had kids and some PTSD sufferers mm. will be violent, you know, have troubles. And all those kids grew up in the yeah. to adulthood in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and perhaps you know there was an effect there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so number nine is awareness. So there was a huge effort to educate children and everyone in the starting in the seventies, going into the eighties, nineties, that you do not talk to strangers, stranger danger, that whole thing. And I remember it being pretty. A new, a pretty new concept in the seventies that you you didn't talk to strangers because it was actually taught to us that you should talk to strangers, you know, that you should be helpful, that you should be nice and polite, and they had to kind of uh, you know backpedal a little bit and say, well, be nice, but don't talk to these kinds of people. You know, I remember as a kid getting those two messages and and <laughs> and I and having people have a hard time telling us. How to navigate that, and I think today uh, there's there's a pretty strong knowledge base that strangers can be dangerous. Yeah. Whereas was that was not the case in the seventies. You know that's why hitchhiking was just so prevalent in the sixties, seventies, and eighties because no one suspected anyone of anything. Right. And now statistically. Uh, they shouldn't suspect anyone of anything, yeah. you, especially today, because crime is down. We we should expect to be picked up on the side of the road by someone that's good. We should expect to pick up someone that just needs yeah. a ride. Now, I'm not saying you're supposed to, but they're statistically speaking. Um, but for better or for worse, our general stranger danger uh, vibe might also reduce the chance of victims being victimized by a serial killer yeah i think that it like it's just weird in so many ways in life 
these few individuals ruin it for the rest of us. You know, it's the whole, this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. In fact, yes, obviously, the vast majority of hitchhikers were fine. But what are you going to do when you're rolling the dice? You don't know if you're the one unlucky one. And, and you hear the stories, and the stories keep coming, and you're like, all right, all right, all right. I guess I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, number 10, and this is one I read in multiple sources, was an increased access to pornography with the Internet. That yeah. for a lot of people who want to uh, have this kind of sexuality, they can fantasize about it or see it enacted in pornography or have violent play. Yep. in in role-playing pornography so that they are able to sublimate their uh, their need um, into into that um, you know it reminds me of did you, you know did you hear about the army hammer thing recently yeah how uh, what would you hear about that I heard some horrible <laughs> rumors um, that he had wanted to eat yeah part of someone <laughs> right so i don't know all the details of course because it's the internet and i don't think anyone knows the details except for maybe people that are firsthand uh individuals but people have been emailing us to talk about it um, the thing i'll say is based on the very little bit of research that i did is that i don't know about army hammer but there are some people who as a kink they fantasize about cannibalism during sex some people are really into sadism, you know, S&M. They like to tie people right. up and spank them with leather whips that don't really hurt. They do play. You know, there's S&M kink play that people will do. It's cons- between consenting adults and people love it. And for some people, the only way they can get off is to do that sort of thing. And in the past, we would have shamed it and pathologized it. But, but today, it's fine. You know, don't. Don't yuck other people's yum, as my colleague at Antioch, Fiona, says. <laughs> uh, she teaches the, the sex therapy classes. Don't yuck other people's yum. <laughs> it's fine. And also, similarly, if you are into cannibalistic play and storytelling or dirty talk and you're with consenting people and you're with people who also want to do that, then you're in heaven. And there's a big difference between wanting to tie someone up and play, beat them with a whip, maybe even cause pain consensually between two people. There's a big difference between that and being Ted Bundy and kidnapping people and wanting yeah. to sexually assault them and, and kill them. There's a big chasm of difference there. Um, is there a way in which repeatedly, like obsessing about something can turn into behavior? Like if yeah. I'm... You know, if I really want to steal a candy bar, I'm not going to do it. But but I'm like constantly like, oh, I really want to see it. Like that it's more likely that I'll just go and try it one time. Well, it depends. It depends on what is going on. And it's hard to know what motivates any behavior in the long term or sort of motivation shift over time. But that's obviously the paranoia that people have. It's like, well, if you're, you know, if you're thinking about this sort of thing all the time, like it's, it's going to lead to it. No. No, the vast majority of sexual fantasies that people think about repeatedly, one, they have a moral compass and they don't want to actually hurt people. Two, 
the act of fantasizing about it or playing in that space actually will dissipate the energy such that you don't actually have mm. any energy to do it in real life. If anything, when you suppress something, that's when it comes out in an explosion of behavior, mm. right? So maybe that's where porn helps too. Right. And this is actually, like, yeah, this is known, you know, that yeah. when you give people a chance to masturbate to their fantasies and really satisfy their fantasies, right. then... Uh, for many people, it doesn't increase. Now, for some, and Ted Bundy even claimed this, which is obviously he's claiming this while he's on death row, so he's trying to get out yeah. of responsibility, that pornography can actually increase one's motivation mm -hmm. to kill sexually or something. And could that be true for some? Absolutely. Humans are very strange behavioral animals. It's hard to know exactly what's happening. But one speculation is fewer serial killers as a result of more pornography because a lot of but, serial killing was done, you know, for sexual reasons. By the way, though, when he's talking pornography, he's talking about going to the store and buying magazines. Right. And maybe going to the movie theater and watching something. Right. He's barely talking about VH VHS tapes at that point. Mm -hmm. Probably not even, right? Because yeah. that's like late 70s, early... Um, and he's for sure not talking about internet. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a big difference when you can even do chat roulette or do whatever. You can actually see someone. It's not even like you can interact with someone if you pay a little money and you can go online and find whatever at any time of the day, as much as you want, over and over. Like whether or not that in itself is healthy, the difference is vast, right? Like I think if you've got your three magazines and you've run out of like material, whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, I got to go to the store. Like now you're going to go out and now you got to spend more money. And now you're like, ah, oh, I need more. I need more. Maybe. But nowadays it's like really hard to run out of material. <laughs> um, and, and I've tried, believe you. Me. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there's someone out there that has truly run out of internet <laughs> porn material. I've know. seen it all. Yeah. What about, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> they're, they're like data where, uh, on Star Trek, where he's just flipping through images like, a, you know, a, a thousand a second. <laughs> you know. um, number 11 is, and this, I threw this in there, I don't know what you think, is more guns in public. That people, serial killers worry, like, does that person have a gun? Are they going to, hmm, am I going to get shot? You know? What deters a bad guy with a gun? A good guy a with a gun. A good guy with a gun. <laughs> but by, Yeah. And maybe that's why there's more of them shooting. It's possible. Um, but here's, here's the biggest thing, Brito. Here's, here's my big reveal. Is that, okay, well, let me ask you a question. So uh, the percentage of murderers, just general murderers, and not just serial killers, but all murderers. So percentage of murderers in 1965 who were identified, you know, we have a murderer on our hands. Um, percentage of those murders that were caught in 1965. Total murder, a you know, the criminals that are caught. Oh, man, like 30%. 91%. What? Yeah. That's mind-blowing. Right. I would have thought it was very low, too, because you just think 1965, yeah. you don't have the yeah. forensic team, you don't have... The Dexter, right. you don't, you know, but a lot of people, because one, murderers typically aren't very smart, one, oh, and, and two, like, it's, 
in, in small towns or I don't know it for whatever reason you know cops were pretty good at catching the guy back then. Now you could say well some of them were false you know blah 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 but anyway the the close rate of murder yeah. cases was ninety one percent. Okay, currently percentage. Oh no. Oh, I see where this is going. Now it's now it's easier to hide in a different way. All right, I'm going to say if it's 93, 65%. 40%. Oh! So if you sucks. watch if you watch Forensic Files and all the other things, it, it gives you this impression that <laughs> that every murderer gets caught. It's like watching Law and Order or any of those shows and every 6 episodes, no one like no one gets caught. <laughs> Not every six. Uh, yeah, forty. Like every six, six out of ten. Sorry, six out of ten episodes, no one gets caught. Uh, oh, six out of ten. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, right. So we have a lot more murderers today who are never even ID'd. They're never. <laughs> there's no suspect. There's no. There's. There's no oh one where they're like, here's our. Here's our suspect. Okay. That's scary. So, um, how many of those 60 percentile of murderers that we don't even know who they are, <laughs> how many of them are serial killers, right? Yeeksers. So, you're talking about a potential huge amount of serial killers that we're just not even categorizing because we don't have any clue who killed those people. Yeah. Okay, so according to that angle, the experts look at it from that angle. Uh, remember, we have an, a peak in the 80s of, a, of 770, and today they, they have registered in the books maybe one or 200. What's the real estimate, the estimate of the real number of serial killers at large today based oh, no. on the, the, the stats as they, as they see it? I want to cry. Um... 300 4000 <laughs> no i mean population increased a lot but no <laughs> yeah so probably like uh, the same per capita 4, serial killers as yeah. we had which would they make a lot more sense because you so think they, like they why just would don't we know have, about them so yeah we just we just don't have cuz again in the in the 80s you had yeah. the biggies like the ted bundys the named ones but you had all these other serial killers that were never caught never Never had a catchy name like the Golden State Killer. They they were just like <laughs> they had the Rock Tumbler. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to rock and tumble. Um, but yeah, so current estimates: four thousand United States still at large killing. Oh my god! So that's my big thing here: is that is it actually reducing? It did it actually quote unquote peak in the eighties, or are we just looking at? Uh, they are better. Now, here's the question, Berto. Why are these serial killers, why are murders in general, forget serial killers, getting away with it today, given that we have so much, you know, so many things that are working against criminals today? Oh, man. That's a really good question. There's a couple of things that funding for law enforcement might be, like, sporadic or, or uneven, I should say, um, could also be priorities. Like if the government in one given administration is like, hey, the big thing is to stop people crossing the border. Or in another administration is like, hey, the big thing is to stop, uh, stop dark people from coming into our airports or, you know, or Islamic, Islamic people or whatever. If those are the priorities, 
then they're going to... In fact, actually, this was featured in The Sopranos. Do you remember like in season uh, four or something where... Um, or it's maybe, No, actually season... It's early because 9-11 happens. And then right after 9-11, the FBI guy that was going after them, he's like, eh, we've moved off of... We, we don't have bandwidth to uh, go after mob families. We're going right. after terrorists now. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So it could be a matter of like... Just like there's less interest among the public, maybe law enforcement isn't quite staffed to follow 4,000 cases. Right. Like, how many police officers are disproportionately spending half their week on quote-unquote terrorism when all these... And drugs. And, yeah, and and catching someone with, like, a gram of of pot or something instead of actually trying to track down someone who killed someone, you know? Right. It's, I don't know the answer to that question. And of course, every precinct is going to be different, every department. All right, Berto, uh, last question for you. Do you know of any famous Colombian serial killers? Oh, well, actually, it, once again, depends how you define these things. But first of all, the, the one of those, uh, Pablo Escobar, the, the main henchman guy who was featured... He was one of the main characters. Yeah. No, like like a Ted Bundy kind of oh, character. Okay, I see. I don't remember the name. There was a guy that um, he was like the under the bridge killer. Well, and I'll, was, I'll rattle off some names and you tell me if you recognize it. Okay. We got Daniel Carmago Barbosa in the 70s and 80s killed 150 young female victims. 150. Jeepers. We have uh, Luis Garavito from, oh, the, yes. from the 90s. I heard about Garavito. I think that's the one I'm talking about. Okay. He killed like, 140 think... boys. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah so many people. Great. And Pedro Lopez in the 70s. I don't know that one. Killed I definitely a... heard of the Garavito, dude. Yeah. So Ugh. 150, 140, and 110 vict- victims. These are like Ted Bundy, what, killed 20 or something, 30 people? Um, and uh, gosh, just so many people. But so, it's also, it would have been so easy, like with so many, especially in the 80s, 70s, whatever, so many people on the streets living in poverty, living in weird areas of the city, yeah. just like. Yeah. And it, it, the reason why I bring up Colombia, not specifically just Colombia, but like to point out that serial killing often is seen as an American thing. It is not an American thing. <laughs> it's a yeah, human thing. It's a human thing. It just, we just have the famous ones and we have the movies about it and the TV shows and, and it's happening all over the world today. Serial killers it, exist all over the world in every society today. In some ways, I think the reason it stood out so much, uh, the ones here in the U.S., is because they were infrequent and, you know, they were rare. They, they were, I mean, there's, this country is huge. It's, it's one of the largest land masses in the world and it's got... Uh, one of the largest populations in the world. And so percentage-wise, you know, it is a small percentage of not only crime, but definitely of serial killing. Right. So they stand out. Right, exactly. All right, Berto, final word on today's episode. Well, I guess I'm going to go back to being on the lookout because I didn't know that we had so many lurking around trying to drop rocks on the heads of people. Yeah. Walking to their homes. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself and be safe because you deserve it.